Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team. The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three twenty-four average hitting in 36 of 45 big league games. First pitch fastball driven in the air to deep center. De La Cruz going back, way back at the warning track, and it is gone! Goodbye! Over the center field wall! A two-run home run for Joey Manessis. And now the pitch on the way, swing and a looper into shallow left center. This is going to fall into base hit. Rounding third is call. The throw by Blade to the plate is offline. Call scores, and into second goes Abrams. And the Nationals now lead four to nothing. First pitch, swung on line, right center, base hit. Thomas froze in the line drive that gets under the glove of the right fielder, Yurar Encarnacion. So Thomas around third, comes in to score, and Garcia is into second base. The Nationals get that run back. The Marlins score to the bottom of the eighth inning. It's now Washington 6 and Miami 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, September 26, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Lone Depot Park in Miami. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We now can safely say that the Nats will not have a 110 loss season this season. The 1969 Montreal Expos franchise record for most losses in a season, 110, is safe, at least for now. The Nats on Sunday afternoon, a 6-1 win at the Miami Marlins to A, avoid a three-game sweep, B, conclude a 4-15 and season against the Marlins, and C, improve to a major league worst 53-99, and meaning that the Nats cannot finish with at least 110 losses, most losses that the Nats can finish with this season now is 109 losses. I don't know if champagne bottles were being sprayed in the Nats clubhouse after the game. I don't know if Coma was being played in the Nats clubhouse after the game. But Mark, I do know that the indignity of a 110 loss season will not be suffered by these 2022 Nats. Well, and they also, Al, will not suffer the indignity of losing 16 games to one team for the first time ever in club history. And if I had told you of all the teams that they could maybe lose 16 to for the first time, that would be the 2022 Marlins. I mean, that would not have seemed appropriate (laughs) given some of the other opponents they have faced over the years. So at least they salvaged that one. It wasn't pretty against them all year long. We know the Marlins have great pitching. The Nats finally on this day 
scored early and then actually tacked on later in the game. It still felt like they could have scored more. They squandered some other opportunities. But the good news is that these days, if Anibal Sanchez is pitching, all you need is a couple of runs. <laughs> That's all the support he needs. I mean, who would have imagined? Here we are, 152 games in the season, and there is no question about who the most reliable member of their rotation is. I said it after his last outing. It's amazing. It is true. It says a lot about a lot. I think this series is really interesting from a starting pitching standpoint. The continued unraveling of Josiah Gray and Eric Fetty continued, but the continued rise of Anibal Sanchez went along here, and he was very good once again on Sunday afternoon. It is a weird thing with the Marlins, and I don't know if there's a real reason for it or not. I mean, you could say, well, Sandy Alcantara, but it's not like he started every game for the Marlins against the Nats this season, although it did feel that way at times. But I mean, understand, the Marlins this season are 63-90. and 90. This is a bad team. This is a team that on Sunday announced that its manager, Don Mattingly, have mutually agreed to part ways at the end of the season. You know, make of that what you will. But, you know, the Marlins are a perpetual mess, right? I mean, they have won the two World Series titles, but beyond 97-03, and 03, This has not been a good franchise since it joined MLB in 1993, but the Marlins, for whatever reason, have had the Nats number this season. But the Nats did play well on Sunday afternoon, did a nice job in this game, and the Joey Manessis tear continued. You know, this guy, what he is doing, you cannot sing the praises of him enough. I mean, we all know the story by now, right? Rookie in his age 30 season. This had been his 10th minor league season, if not for the trading away of Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Manessis probably isn't up here at the major league level, and yet he has been incredible. And he ended up having another big series in this series, including homering again on Sunday afternoon. He went two for five with a two-run homer and a single, and he had a terrific defensive play. But Manessis in an Nats two-run first, a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to center field for a 2 nothing Nats lead, 405 feet per stat cast. Manessis in the top of the fifth, a two-out opposite field single to right field. And Manessis in the bottom of the first, a uh, very smooth spinning and sliding stab of a well-hit grounder off the bat of Miguel Rojas on a ground out for the second out with the bat and with the glove. Joey Manessis shining bright on Sunday afternoon. And there was another nice scoop on a double play ball, on a tricky double play ball from Abrams to Garcia that the throw was skipped and he made the catch. And, you know, we knew this already, but you're seeing more evidence of it now. He is far superior defensively than Luke Voigt at first base. And it does make you believe that that's the way they should be looking into next season. You know, Manessis has not played right field in a while now because of the Nelson Cruz injury. This has been good for everyone, to be honest. And I think it is showing, you know, we already had a sense he can hit. I think we're seeing he can play a decent first base as well. And that's a really valuable thing to have. We've talked about that, how important that can be, especially with young infielders. The home run, he's got 12 of them now in 46 games. He's hitting 326, 943 OPS. He's going to end up maybe at most 56 games played. And maybe in some years, you'd say that could be enough to actually win NL Rookie of the Year or get some votes for it. I just think, unfortunately, this year, the Braves' two guys, Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, have been there the majority of the year and been really good for them. I think it's going to be hard to make an argument for somebody who's only going to have been in the big leagues for two months. But it just make you think like, man, if he'd been called up sooner and done this over three or four months, he would seriously be in this discussion. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got some token votes just to kind of acknowledge the job that he has done. You know, it's funny with the Nelson Cruz thing. So he ends up not playing again in this series. He's been out with this left eye issue. It sounds like he may be done for the season, although Davey Martinez did say the other day he'd like to get Nelson like at least one more plate appearance over the course of the year. 
So here's my question. If not for this left eye ailment of Nelson Cruz, would we still be having him as the number one DH for this team? Would he still be in the lineup on a game-in, game-out basis for the most part? Would he still be the Nats' cleanup batter on a game-in, game-out basis for the most part? Like, that is kind of troubling that, like, it took this freakish left eye issue to get Nelson Cruz to stop being the every-game DH, the every-game cleanup batter, and that that is what has led to us getting what we have wanted and what I think has been best for the Nats. Manessis playing at first, Luke Voigt being the DH. But it sounds like if not for the left eye thing, we probably would still be seeing at least a decent amount of Nelson Cruz down the stretch. I mean, we saw how that was handled on a day-to-day basis pretty much all year long, even as they got past the trade deadline. As long as Nelson Cruz was available, he was in the lineup and often hitting in a very prominent spot in the lineup. Now, maybe at some point that would have changed a little bit, but I think you probably would have seen at least a majority of the time, Cruz at DH, Void at first, Manessis in right, and then a combination of guys in left field. I think we can pretty safely say the Nationals have played better baseball without Nelson Cruz than they have with him. That's not a knock on him as a person or the entirety of his career, but this year, when he's been in there, more often than not, it has hurt the team more than it's helped the team. And it's not just him. It's the domino effect, like we've discussed, of what it means for others and where they end up in the field and in the lineup. They have been a better team without him. doesn't mean that they're a good team. They still have plenty of other holes. But Nelson Cruz has not been the answer for them in any kind of prominent spot in their lineup this year. See, I find this a little disturbing that if not for this left eye thing, we still would be having this problem of him being the every game DH and the every game cleanup batter. Like, it shouldn't be that something like that is what leads to the right things being done. It should be that you as a team make the right decisions for the right things to be done. So, I don't know. That's just something I was thinking about the other day. Like, that's kind of not the way you want it to be for this team, but hey, it is. And Manessis is doing well, and it's nice to see that. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Menezes' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Cabrera sets. Right-hander delivers. He bunts. First base side. Safety squeeze. Runner breaks for the plate. The throw home. The slide. And not in time. The run scores. Victor Robles gets it done with a safety squeeze. With a pitch running in. Wasn't so easy to get that bunt down. And he bunted it up the first baseline. And now... Fortes just ran over to the dugout and tagged Abrams. And Bill Miller called him out. So apparently Abrams never touched the plate. Wow. With his slide to the plate, and Davey Martinez immediately is saying, challenge the call. C.J. Abrams ended up having a very nice series in this series at the Marlins. Abrams on Sunday afternoon, three for four with a double, an RBI single, and another single. He did commit a fielding error, but Abrams in the top of the second, a leadoff first pitch single to right field and a stolen base. Abrams in the Nats, one run fourth, a one-out double down the right field line. And Abrams in the Nats, two run eighth, a two-out full count, opposite field, RBI bloop single to left, for a 4-0 Nats lead despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Now, also for Abrams in this game was a bizarro out that I guess you have to say he made at home plate, although it was kind of made as he was entering the dugout. This was so strange. So I mentioned that top of the second first pitch single to right field. Abrams got tagged out at home, I guess technically, on a fielder's choice off the bat of Victor Robles, who put down a bunt off which it appeared Abrams scored. Marlins catcher Nick Fortes then tagged Abrams as he was making his way into the dugout, and Abrams was called out. It turned out, I guess, that he never actually touched home plate when he slid into home plate. The Nats challenged the play, but Abrams was confirmed to have been out. It was very difficult to tell watching the replay whether Abrams actually touched home plate. But I guess we have to say this is another out that the Nats make at home plate this season, albeit in a very unique way. 
one of the weirdest I've ever seen something like that. Now, just for the record, because it maybe didn't come across on the broadcast, technically speaking, this was not Nick Fortes tagging him out as he went down the dugout steps, and that's why Bill Miller called him out. On the initial play, you see that Miller gives no sign at all, safe or out. And by rule, it's up to the runner to realize that and go back and touch the plate or the catcher to tag him out. But if the runner starts heading back to the dugout, essentially he's giving up on the play, he will be out even if nothing else had happened. So I don't think Fortes actually had to go all the way there. I don't think he could have like followed him down the dugout steps and tagged him out and that would have done it. Eventually, that would have been it. But a really weird play. And I do think this is one of those that if it's called safe in live action, it holds up that way. But because it was so inconclusive on the replay, that's why the call stood. Now, Abrams insists that he felt his spike hit the plate and that sort of made the foot pop up. So he felt like he made contact with something with the plate there, but it wasn't enough to be seen on video evidence. And boy, if that had cost them somehow, my God, thankfully it did not. But just a weird play in a game that had several weird moments, base running and others, uh, just a very odd game. Yeah, I mean, these were two bad teams on display, especially the Marlins. And that's played a pretty good game. The Marlins really did not. But another really bizarre play in this game came with, uh, who else? Victor Robles involved. Uh, Imagine that. So Robles actually is hitting a little bit here lately. Went two for four with a couple of singles in this game. He went two for four with two singles in the loss on Friday night. Robles on Sunday afternoon in the Nats, one run fourth, a two-out bun single on which Marlins starter Edward Cabrera got hurt. And then Robles later in the inning had a stolen base that prompted what went down as a throwing error off which C.J. Abrams scored. There goes Robles. The pitch is taken for a strike. The throw to second, and no one's there. The throw hits Robles, deflects to Rojas, the shortstop, and Abrams will come in to score. And nobody was covering second base. It's hard to remember seeing that, and yet we saw that here. The ball went off Robles. So let's think about this. Victor Robles, right, he's always involved in weird situations. He's involved in a weird situation here. And Victor Robles, who has this extreme penchant for getting hit by pitches, he gets hit by a throw (laughs) while stealing second base. Only Robles could be hit by a throw while stealing second base. What a weirdo play that was. And I'm telling you, neither infielder moved a muscle. It's not like somebody was late to get there. They never even attempted to cover the base. So this was the first pitch after that long injury delay when Cabrera looked like he had suffered a major foot or ankle injury. He ends up getting up through some more pitches, tried to stay in the game. Don Mattingly said, no, hang on a second. We're not going to push this. So they give the reliever as much time as he needs to warm up. Everybody's kind of just you know, standing around waiting for the game to resume. And literally the first pitch, Robles takes off. And I give him credit for that because the Marlins probably are not expecting anything like that or just not even thinking about it. And literally neither infielder moves. And the fact that the throw would hit him and then ricochet right to the shortstop is crazy. But thankfully, C.J. Abrams was alert, scored on that play to maybe make up for the other out at the plate. But that is, again, potentially two plays in this game that I don't know that I've ever really seen happen, not in a big league game like that. Very strange stuff, but good to see at least that play go in the Nats' way. The Nats offensively in this game, six runs, 13 hits, only drew one walk, went 6-17, though, with runners in scoring position. Lots of guys on base for the Nats in this game. You had five Nats each with at least two hits in the game. Abrams had three. We talked about Manessis 
with his two. Lane Thomas had a couple of hits in this game. He had himself a double and a single. Uh, I mentioned Robles having two singles. And Ildemoro Vargas, who, you know, maybe has calmed down a little bit lately in terms of uh, his uh, offensive success. He was back to producing for the Nats in this game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Vargas, two for four with an RBI double and an infield single. Uh, Vargas in that Nats two-run eighth, a two-out RBI double off the bottom of the left field wall on an 0-2 pitch for a 5-0 Nats lead. Another run scoring hit for Vargas late in a game. It feels like a lot of his work comes later in games, you know, latter innings of Nats wins, that kind of a thing. And uh, he came through once again on Sunday afternoon. He's been Mr. Clutch for the for whatever reason that has been, and good for him for continuing this. You know, I think we kind of wondered, well, this really isn't who he is as a hitter. Is that going to keep up or not? And well, no, he's managed to keep it up and continue to produce for them as an everyday player, which again, none of us ever saw coming. It has helped bring some depth to the lineup. I mean, when you have a day where Abrams, Vargas, and Robles all combined for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hits between them. That's a good day. And they've needed that because too often they've been top heavy with their lineup. When they actually get production from the bottom half because of those guys, it does make a difference as you see and allows them to tack on some runs later and take a little bit of pressure off the pitching staff and not have to be perfect, which unfortunately has been the case, especially when they play the Marlins. I want to ask you about Luis Garcia. So Garcia on Sunday afternoon did have an RBI single. He had Nats one run ninth that it went out first pitch RBI single to right field for a 6-1 Nats lead. But that was his only hit in this series. He over games one and two went 0 for 8 with three strikeouts. And Luis Garcia in this month of September, batting average at 214 on base percentage of 256, slugging percentage of 321. You know, he had been so nice to see this season offensively. Got hurt, came back, initially was doing all right, but the offensive numbers really have come tumbling down. His OPS for the season now is at 688. What are you seeing from Garcia? Is he just kind of wearing down? Is there something else going on here with him? Because it's been a little disappointing to see his season not end in a good way, at least so far. Yeah, remember he was up there like in the 290s and his batting average at one point, he's down at 271 now with that last hit. He was in danger of falling down in the 260s. So, yeah, I think there's some wearing down. I think he's chases at times. You know, he's really good at putting the bat on the ball, but sometimes he's putting the bat on the ball in pitches that aren't in the strike zone, and he's got to work on that. We know he doesn't draw a lot of walks, of course. The good news, he's played a much better second base, and he really hasn't let the offensive struggles affect him in the field very much. But we want to think of him as being a good offensive second baseman, but we still need to see it over a longer period of time if he can do it or not. There have been enough encouraging signs to make you think that it could be the case, but he's far from a finished product here. And I don't know that we can say definitively that we know he's going to be an everyday big league hitter, which to be honest is what he's probably going to need to be to stick up here defensively better, but he's not so good defensively at second base that you say, well, we can just sacrifice the offense. He's going to have to hit at this level and show that he can do that over a full season. Yeah, and he was hitting for a while. It's been disappointing to see him not hit in this month of September. And hopefully he can uh, end his season with a good last you know, week or so here. We'll see. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on, and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and make sure that you tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or lock when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. The kick, here it comes, swing and a miss. He struck him out, and a curly W is in the books. Kyle Finnegan closes this one out, and the Nationals take the finale of this three-game series and the final meeting of the year between the Nationals and the Marlins. Started with a Joey Manessis two-run homer in the first inning, and Anibal Sanchez, who pitched five shutout innings, giving up two hits, will earn his third win of the year, and the Nationals will have a happy flight home to the nation's capital. Well, someone who very much is ending his 2022 season in a strong way is Anibal Sanchez, that young, promising hurler who cannot be denied these days. Anibal, in this 6-1 win at the Marlins on Sunday afternoon, pitched well for a sixth time in seven starts. And, you know, really, you could say it's six consecutive starts because the one start in this recent stretch in which he did not pitch well was that start now three Sundays ago in that uh, rain-marred game against the Philadelphia Phillies. That was an abbreviated outing. You almost want to throw that out the window. But Sanchez on this Sunday afternoon at the Marlins, five scoreless innings. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He issued two walks. He had four strikeouts. He, over his five innings, did throw 95 pitches, 57 strikes versus 38 balls. Look, no one has ever accused Anibal Sanchez of being pitch efficient, at least not at this stage in his career. And we know that he doesn't miss bats, and we know that he does pitch to contact, but he continues to be effective. And you know, how about this? You know, there are a lot of ways you could sort of frame this, but Anibal Sanchez now has made 13 major league starts this season. He, over the first six starts, had an ERA of 720. His ERA now for this season at the major league level is down to 406. He could actually finish this season with a sub four ERA, which seemed unthinkable with the way that things had been going. He was one inning away from doing that on Sunday. If he had got to six scoreless, the ERA was going to go down to 399. And yes, I had already done the research on that because I was all ready to point it out as soon as it happened. Didn't quite get there, but if he throws a scoreless first inning next time out, he will have officially have the ERA under four, and that is an amazing thing. Over these last seven, he has thrown 34 and a third innings and given up a total of five runs on 16 hits, basically giving up one hit every other inning. That's it. For him. I mean, stop and think about that. Now he is walking batters, which is a little bit of a problem. But I think there's a calculated method to this is that he's not going to give in. He's not just going to put the ball over the plate. If he ends up walking hitter, so be it. Everything he throws has movement. He really works on game planning and having an idea of what he wants to do when he takes the mound for a particular start. And you're seeing him have success. He's done it against bad lineups. He's done it against good lineups. He said, kind of laughingly, he feels like he's always been pretty good in September for whatever reason in his career, and even October, and he was hoping that he'd have another chance to pitch in October. Obviously, that's not happening this year, but he's healthy. He does seem to find a groove along the way the more that he pitches, 
And it has been a godsend for them because none of their other starters have done this with any consistency here lately. He is finishing strong and completely changing everyone's perception of what we thought he was at this point at age 38. I know you've been on board from the beginning. You, you've wanted him and insisted that he should be starting every fifth day and leading the staff. But a lot of other doubters out there, I think, are being proven wrong now and uh, realizing that Anibal Sanchez still has something in the tank. Well, I don't know how anyone couldn't have seen this coming. I mean, it was the most obvious thing. You know, it's like the sun rising in the east, like Anibal Sanchez is going to pitch well for the Nats <laughs> this season. But you know what's funny? If we can be serious for a moment here. So, you know, he's not under contract to the Nats next season. He can up and leave them this offseason. Like to, to, <laughs> to those who want to celebrate this. And I guess you could say, well, the Nats have fixed him. So that's good because the Nats have fixed so few pitchers in recent years. But it may be that Sanchez has been too good for the Nats good and that he's going to sign with another team this offseason because you just said it. He wants to pitch in October. He's not going to be pitching next October if he's with the Nats, barring the unforeseen. And so if you're Sanchez and you're like, well, you know, I've sort of found the fountain of youth here and I've pitched well as this season has gone on. Why would you resign with the Nats? Wouldn't you sign with a team that you view as a contender? So it's almost like the Nats have done too good of a job with Anibal Sanchez because he can leave them for a better team this offseason. Well, that does require a contending team actually making him the kind of offer that he would be looking for. So let's not get too crazy here yet. I do think there's going to be an offer for him for a minor league deal, probably from the Nationals. Why wouldn't you at least take a shot at it now if he can find another team that's willing to give him that and not just you know, a minor league offer, but like a realistic chance to make the team coming out of spring training, maybe he would. But I think he's savvy enough to understand that his best opportunity probably would be with the Nationals because even if he struggled, they would probably stick with him, you know, for a little while like they have this year. And then if it was going really well, maybe come August 1st, or whatever the trade deadline is next year, they can flip him and actually get something in return for him. And even you couldn't say no to that possibility. No, I mean, I did bring that up when they signed him. I said, look, minor league contract for Sanchez, I'm not going to be mad at that because it costs you nothing and you never know what the guy might end up doing. I would also throw this out there. You know, Sanchez might be a guy who maybe has to do the Roger Clemens thing of you don't start pitching until later in the year. I don't know that he's someone who can pitch 25, 30 starts in a season. And as we've seen this year, it does take him a while to get going. So I don't know if there's a way for him to like be in a team's organization and then get brought up like midseason after he's pitched in the minors and, you know, gotten himself going. Like what you want with him is get the bad starts out of you at the minor league level and then bring him up to the major league level at some point when you feel he's ready. Because the pattern with him does seem to be it takes a while for him to get going. And as he's getting going, I mean, it's ugly. It's like almost like non-competitive like it was with the Nats over his first six starts this season. But as we have seen lately, once he gets going, he can actually be of service to you. So I'd be interested to know if a team that does sign him says to him, take your time. You're not going to start the season with us at the major league level, but come, you know, May, June, July, whenever we deem you ready, we'll bring you up and you'll be a part of our rotation. Yeah, that'd be interesting if they had to resort to that, you know, and would he be on board for that? I think it's an interesting dilemma for them. And I think clearly it does show that he needs to build himself up, make a good number of starts to get to a point that he's feeling comfortable with everything. Now, maybe a normal spring training would allow him to get to that point, I suppose. I and mean, we don't really know what he would have done in April and May this year because of the whole neck injury. But if they have the ability to say, hey, go to AAA, show us that you're good and ready, and then we'll bring you up after that, it's not the worst idea in the world. I think 
there's an interesting question with him and for the Nationals as well. If we're going to go under the assumption that they enter next year with Mackenzie Gore, Cade Cavalli, Josiah Gray for certain in the rotation, and Patrick Corbin, especially after pitching well down the stretch and being under contract, is still part of the rotation as well. So that leaves one more spot, at least guaranteed spot going into the season. Is that Eric Fetty, who's going to be arbitration eligible? They have to decide, is that worth it? Would they go ahead and just give a job like that to Annabelle Sanchez? Would they go try to sign somebody else with more of a track record? Or would they hope that somebody else within the organization develops? I mean, you got to have depth, so you can't just go into it with only five. So maybe there is a formula there where they could bring back Fetty, have him open the year as the fifth starter, have Sanchez go to AAA, and then eventually he comes up when something else goes wrong. I don't know. But if everything worked out the way they hope, they may not have room for everybody. But as we know, very rarely does everything work out like that. Yeah. And as much as I would love for Gray, Gore, and Cavalli to be in the Nats season opening rotation next year, you just don't know with especially Cavalli and Gore from health standpoints, are they going to be good to go for next year? It just, you know, you're constantly with these guys like bracing yourself for the worst just because we've had all this injury stuff pop up with these guys. But we'll see. I mean, ideally, clearly, those three guys would be a part of the Nats rotation next season. So the Nats are done with the Marlins, finally. Next up is a three-game series against the National League wildcard-leading Atlanta Braves Monday through Wednesday. We know that Patrick Corbin's turn in the rotation is being skipped. And so in this series against the Mighty Braves, we have Corey Abbott, Paolo Espino, and Josiah Gray. So that's going to be interesting because we've talked about the potential for things to get ugly. We'll see. You know, maybe they don't. But Abbott, Espino, and Gray is what you're looking at from a starting pitching standpoint for the Nats in this three-game series against the Braves. Yeah. Now... The Nationals as a whole played a lot better against the Braves last week in Atlanta. They played competitive games. They pretty much held that Braves lineup in check, at least as much as you can reasonably expect. They didn't hit a whole lot, but they were in every game and then won one of the three. They're going to have to continue to get good pitching, keep the Braves in the ballpark, which has been such a problem for them. And look, frankly, they're going to have to score runs. You know, to expect to win a lot of these games, three to two, two to one, to hold these kind of lineups down that they're now going to face. The rest of the way is not very realistic. They're going to have to score runs. We've seen they have the ability to do it. We see a lineup that has Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, Luke Voigt, CJ Abrams, Lamar Vargas, Alex Call with what he's done. Like there are enough bats there, but they've got to put them together. They've got to hit at the right time. And you got to hope they can hit at least a few balls out of the park, preferably with somebody on base so they can score runs in bunches because that has been such a huge problem for them this year. As long as we got Joey Manessis, we got a chance because the tear <laughs> continues and it certainly continued in this series at the Marlins. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats chat podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats chat podcast t-shirt. That's a great way to support the podcast. You can get a t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. And don't forget the first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party, Friday night, October 14th at 7 at Walters, right across the street from Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And in honor of our guy, Joey Fourbags, we're going to leave you with something special from earlier this season, although we didn't know that this was a something that was special at the time. This past April 22nd, we had this report from the voice of the AAA Rochester Red Wings, Josh Wetzel. This report involves this player for the Red Wings at the time named Joey Manessis. 
kind of fun to listen back to something like this. Enjoy it, and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. Okay, how about a Rochester Red Wings report? Joey Manessis, a former IL Most Valuable Player with Lehigh Valley, is in his first year in the national system after signing a minor league deal. He ripped a couple of home runs in that game Thursday night. Mingdon fires, swinging a high drive deep to left center. Backhead's Govern. He looks up near the scoreboard, and it's out of here. A home run that cleared the visitors' bullpen just to the left of the video board. And the two-run blast from Manessis has the wings on the scoreboard. It's now 6-2. to two. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.